No, good morning. Man, it is such a joy to see you. We have people who are part of the region, but also literally all over the world who are joining us on our online campus. We love having you there, our North Campus. We love being with you, South Campus. Uh, what a joy. It doesn't matter how you are participating. We are on a journey together. And the journey is real simple. We say it in two words. We say next step. Say next step. We encourage each other to take next steps with the Lord. The Bible says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And so we just want to be a people who stay in, step with the, stay in step with the Spirit. We want to bless our neighbors. And as we do that, we are going to find abundance in life. I was reading an article the other day, though, that indicated science has made a discovery of something that might hinder us from taking our next steps with Jesus. It is amazing these days what science is finding out. Things they are discovering, I, I mean, I am at times, and I, I say this not facetiously, uh, I am overwhelmed at what the Lord is allowing us to discover. Sometimes I struggle a little bit what they say is science and what they say is the discovery. This article was one of them because science shows that we are selfish. And I know you're going, duh. I mean, like we didn't know that. That's where some of our money's being spent. You wonder why our national debt's the way it is? It's studies like this to seem to confirm the obvious in life. But the studies go beyond that. They're actually more specific. Like some of the supposed science says, men in general are more selfish than women. And all the women said? Amen, yeah. And the rest of you are nodding your head even though you're not saying it. I, I get it. They also said, believe it or not, that men who have muscles and who go to the gym are more selfish than those that don't. So the dude that drives right by the gym on the way to the Golden Corral, less selfish than the guy at the gym. Hey, don't look at me like that. I'm just telling you where the science is leading, okay? This supposed science also tells us that if you get on an airplane and you prefer the window seat to the aisle seat, you are more selfish. I know some of you are hurting right now. I said, what about the middle? Nobody wants the middle seat. It's like the precursor to hell. We all trying to avoid that. We get that. But if you want the window over the aisle, you are more selfish. So if you are a lady who is not yet married and you're thinking someday you want to be married, let me give you some insight, ladies. You want to get the guy that goes to the Golden Corral and not the gym who sits on the aisle. There you go, right there. That's the man apparently you want. Ladies, you are not off the hook. Studies show you get two ladies who are BFFs. They are together, and there are two pieces of chocolate cake. One is larger than the other. Said lady will hose her bestie every time and take the larger piece of cake. And all the men said, we've been there, right? Here, science has spoken. Humanity apparently has a selfish streak in it. And some of you are going right now, do none of these scientists have kids? Like, have they never had a two-year-old? Because every two-year-old comes up with a word that no parent teaches their two-year-old. And that word is what? Mine. We know it. Come on. We know that all of humanity, we're honest, ourselves included, struggle with varying degrees with 
Selfishness. If I may. Selfishness is part of the norm of our world. It is normal. Question for you. What do you think normal was like in the Garden of Eden before sin? Can you even begin to fathom it? I mean, I, I have traveled in various places in the world, and I, I'm always amazed at how different cultures are. And what's normal in one culture is so much different than what is normal in another culture. It's enough that it puts you into shock. I mean, it, it can be simple things. Like when I went to India, I, I found myself confused on a regular basis because of the way they communicate non-verbally. You see, in the United States of America, if we want to communicate non-verbally, our agreement with something, we don't want to verbalize it, we do it non-verbally, and we want to say, yes, I agree with that, I get that. What do we do? We nod our head up and down. We nod our head, and that means what? It means yes, it means I get it, I understand. We do it all the time without even thinking about it. However, in India, they also have a nonverbal form of communication that indicates agreement, but they don't nod their head up and down. They actually wiggle their head side to side. And they do it really fast. Like, but it gives me brain slush when I, like, I just got dizzy. Sorry about that. I'm going back away from the stage a little bit. And so what happens is they're doing this thing, but if you think about it, this looks a lot like when we do what? This, and when we do this, we mean no, the other opposite. So when you're a guy like me, you're American, you're preaching to a crowd in India and you're saying something phenomenal, incredible, and they're all out there going, you're thinking they're saying, no, I don't agree with that. It's like, I just said Jesus loves you. How could you not agree with that? India normal, and that's just a small thing. India normal feels radically different than American normal. Knowing that normal can be so much different from one culture to another. What do you think? Come on, imagine for a second. Our normal, where we chuckle at the idea that science shows us that we are selfish because we just all know it. It is normal. What would normal be like in the Garden of Eden before sin? I would challenge that the gap between our normal and Eden normal is at times beyond what we can imagine. When Jesus bids us to come follow him, he bids us to a life of faith. He bids us to a life of dependence. He bends us to a life of staying in step with him. I would challenge he's calling us back to the things of the garden before sin. The way he made things, the way he designed things, the place where there is abundance. But we've got to recognize a reality that he's bidding us this, but it's radically different at times from what we consider to be normal. And so there are going to be times that there are facets of what Jesus says that is going to be like a shock to our system because it's so radically different from what's normal. Now, I'm not saying it's everything. It feels like God gives us each a grace to grab hold easily of some things that are normal as a kingdom. But there are other things because of the way we were raised, the culture in which we live, the world that we are a part of, and he calls us to something that is radically different. It feels irrational. So like Jesus said, love your enemies. And we go, what? Because it's just upside down. 
He said, if a man would seek to gain his life, he'll lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We go, that just kind of blows our mind. And then we have this phrase that we've been talking about for weeks and have a, actually a couple more weeks to deal with it. When Jesus says, it is more blessed, say more blessed. All of us want more blessed. It's not that we don't want the more blessed. It's the upside down nature of it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we understand this verse in context, it causes us to pause even more. There's like a shock that comes to us. In Acts, the 20th chapter, the apostle Paul is journeying back to Jerusalem. And he really doesn't know that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to live or die. He knows he's going to face opposition. The spirit of God has shown him that, but he doesn't know all the details. On his journey, he's in Miletus and he calls to himself the elders of a church in Ephesus. It's a church he helped start. He stayed in Ephesus for three years. It's the longest that we know he stayed in any one location. And he wanted to tell them maybe goodbye. I don't know if I'll see you again, but more than that, he wanted to charge them as elders. He wanted to say, hey, I modeled a way of life for you, and I need you to keep modeling this way of life for all the people who now have faith in Jesus and who are going to have faith in Jesus. And I modeled it on the words of Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so like I modeled friendship for you guys. I modeled loving for you, sowing friendship before wanting to reap friendship. When it came to sharing the gospel with you, I didn't hold anything back from you. I wanted to make sure you had everything you needed to stand before God on the day of judgment because he knows reality that found people find people. And he said, I had certain gifts, I had certain abilities, and I made sure I used those in your, to your benefit. I'd sowed those into your life because save people, serve people. But then he says, you can look at it later in verse 32, he says, and now I commend you, I give you over to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver. I didn't come after your gold. I didn't want your clothes. It's like he's saying, you know that, don't you? You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must remember the weak. We must remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So catch this. The apostle Paul spent the latter half of his life traveling around the Roman Empire at the instigation of God, staying in step with what the Spirit told him. He would go into cities, and there he would proclaim the gospel. He would share people hope and life in Jesus, and there he would start churches. He would stay as long as he could stay there. But he did something different than was the norm of his day. The norm of his day is that traveling teachers and philosophers would actually charge people to hear them. We do that today. There are all sorts of conferences, business conferences, skills conferences, all kind of stuff where we're charged an admission price and we're willing to pay that admission price if we think that person is giving us some information that we need to hear. They did that in that day, but Paul refused to do that. Paul made sure that they could hear the gospel free of charge. To be able to do that, he actually funded himself in two ways. Most people think just one way, but it was actually two ways. He actually first had people who helped him go on these trips. Followers of Jesus would send him. So he told the church in Philippi, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no churches entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you. You did it, and even when I went to Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul had partners 
in ministry, people who would send him. Like we, from Beltway Park, we partner with 95 people, over 95 around Abilene and around the world to share the gospel in this way. Paul had that, but that wasn't the only way he did it. Because there were not enough Jesus followers at the time to fully fund him, sometimes Paul wouldn't have funds, he would go anyway, and he had a skill. He had this ability to repair and make tents. And he would just set up shop and he would support himself, which seems to be what he did in Ephesus. So think about it. In essence, Paul, who probably could have charged people an entrance fee to hear what he had to say, did not. Instead of charging them, he gave to them. He functionally gave to them financially, did he not? because he refused to charge them for the gospel. You see, he lived by the words of Jesus in every area of life. Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and this included his money. And there I said the dreaded word in church, the word that makes us really feel awkward. Would you please hear me for a second? Stick with me before you turn off online, North Campus, anything like that. Don't get your phone out yet. Just stick with me. More than I can communicate, I want this in my life. I want to be more blessed. And some of you are saying, David, that seems kind of selfish. I don't think it's selfish at all. Why would God promise something I'm not supposed to desire? He promised it. I desire it. I want it to be true in my life. I hate for it to be a reality in my kids and my grandkids. But I'm telling you, I hunger. I walk the chairs in our sanctuary. I lay hands on cameras for people I may never meet who are online. This is what I want. I want this to be true in your life, desperately true in your life. And I know from the word of God that this cannot happen unless we handle our money the way God wants us to. It just cannot. It's spoken about too much. You look in your Bible. Over 2,000 times money and material possessions are mentioned in the Bible. Prayer is mentioned about 500 times. Heaven and hell combined a little over 500 times. I am not saying that money, possessions are more important than heaven and hell or prayer. I'm just saying God knows that we need help in this. So what I'm asking you to do for the rest of the morning, that's all, this is all I'm asking you to do, is prayerfully listen. I'll make you a promise. You ready? At the end of service, I am not going to ask you to fill out any kind of commitment card when it comes to money. Cool? Some of you thinking, dude, you have that QR code thing you've been using a lot on the back of the chairs. I'm not going to send you with a QR code to fill out anything. I'll make you a promise. I am not going to specifically ask you to do anything today. I'm going to ask you to pray about something. You decide on your own whether this is something you want to live out or not, and I will never know it. No one in our leadership will know it. I need you to understand that at this season in our church's life, I have no idea who gives what here. I don't know what our elders give. I don't know what our pastors give. I don't, the only person I know who gives anything about way is me, my wife. That's all I know. We don't look at it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I know most churches do. We don't. We just felt like that's what the Lord has shown us to do. So we don't. So I have no idea whether you give or you don't give. I won't know whether you start or you don't start. No knowledge whatsoever. I want this to be between you and the Lord. So you don't have to worry about anything. You just begin to ask yourself, 
is there a way I can step into this and really believe that God might do it? Because Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give to receive, also said, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, money, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Every one of us is here because we want true riches in our life. And believe it or not, it is connected to our money. I need you to listen. Having money isn't what makes you rich, according to the words of Jesus. Using money God's way, that's what makes us truly rich. And truly rich is far beyond the amount of money you have. There's so much more God has for us. Listen to me. When we by faith say yes to follow Jesus, I, I want to run out, I receive the gift of life. What we do is we agree we're going to try to move into a new normal. We're going to move into Garden of Eden like normal. And sometimes our system's going to have to be shocked. Sometimes we're going to have to face some things that make us real uncomfortable, things that feel radical, even irrational at times. Because it's the nature of the new normal. Like there is a truth. We try to share it often around Beltway Park. And that truth is this. We can't outgive God. We just can't do it. And he does things to prove it to us. In the scripture, there are three images about mindsets when it comes to money. The first mindset we might call a bag mindset. Say bag. Now get this, in the prophet Haggai, and yes, there's a book called Haggai. It's in the back of the Old Testament. The book of Haggai is set at a time when a handful, a small group of Jewish people are returning from captivity in Babylon and Persia. They were taken into captivity because of their lack of faithfulness to God. It actually happened in about 516 BC. 70 years later, according to the word of the prophet Jeremiah, they come back in Jerusalem. What's happening is they're trying to reestablish Jerusalem. They're trying to build back their houses and their farms, but, but it's not working. And Haggai says the reason it's not working is that you're not putting God first. You're trying to build your own houses, but not God's house. You're trying to do your things and build your farms, but you're not worried about God. And this is how he says it. He says, you have sown much, you're harvesting little. You eat, but it's like you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. Now look at this. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag, say bag, with holes. Does that not sound like what Americans say all the time? It's like, I got this money, I just don't know where it goes. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of humanity. More money spread across more people than ever, and that includes inflation being included in there. And yet, most people are saying, I've got all this, but I don't know where it goes. It's like I never have enough. There always seems to be more month than money, more bills than I can keep up with. And you hear it all the time from Americans. I just don't know where it all goes. And then we're told by Jesus, you're more blessed when you give than when you receive. And we go, man, I'd love to be generous. But look at my checking account at the end of the month, the end of the two weeks. There's just not anything there. I never seem to have enough in the bag. It's like I have holes in my pockets. By the way, this was Beltway Park when I came. Next week, you want to come next week. Next week is one of the greatest Sundays that we do every year. We're doing our annual report, celebrating all that God's done. I'm going to tell a little bit of the story. And I am just telling you, God has done an incredible work among us, and I want you to hear about it. But this was us. 
But we moved into another mindset, and you might call it a basket mindset. Say basket. So in the time of Jesus, and you can date it all the way back to Moses, Israel would help take care of its poor in various ways. One of the ways was they were told by God not to harvest the totality of their fields. So if you had a crop in the field, you were harvesting, you were told to leave the edges of the field for those who didn't have as much. So the people who didn't have as much, they didn't have their own fields, they didn't have a crop coming in, they were allowed to take a basket. And they went into the fields and they were allowed to glean from what was left. So imagine you are somebody who's in a position where you have to glean. You don't have a field, you don't have your own crops, and you need to feed your family. And you're told you can take a basket, and everything you can put in that basket, you can take out with you. What do you think you're doing when you do that basket? Don't you think you put a little wheat in there? You look and you shake it, and you let that thing settle to the bottom. And you put a little bit more wheat in there, and what do you do? You shake it, and you make sure there's some more. And probably you shake it again, and then you get your hand, and you begin to shove it down in there, right? And you're getting as much as you can in there. When you get towards the top, do you think you leave like a tenth of it left? Or do you think you make sure you fill it as much as you can? Maybe even a little bit beyond that. And you're going to carry it really carefully. A little bit's going to spill out, but I'm going to make sure I get all I can. Jesus actually uses this image. An image everyone in the first century would have understood but he does it in a way that would have blown their mind. He goes from their normal to kingdom of God normal. And it would have been a shock to them because he looked at them and said, give and it will be given to you. Don't look to receive first. Don't hoard. Don't consume. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Press down. Shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. See, it's a statement of ongoing provision, of having more than enough instead of having bags, a bag with holes in it. And then he makes this statement, for with the measure you give, it's going to be measured to you. You can't outgive me, is what he's saying. You can't outgive God. But it goes even beyond that. The third mindset might be what you call a barn mindset. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth. That's one of those 2,000 verses on money. With the first fruits of all your crops, say first. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Now come on. You got a bag with holes in it. You got a basket filled to overflowing, or you have a barn that is filled with stuff coming out the doors. Which do you want? See, some of you are trying to look at me all spiritual and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm a content person. I'll take the basket. Let it overflow, that'll be enough. Inside, you're saying, I want the barn. I want that fast. And some of you, you haven't been able to get off the thing about the wine overflowing. You're saying, hey, when do we get to that? That's another sermon. No doubt we all want the basket. Ongoing provision, that's blessing. But the offer is to move into more blessed. Barn is a statement of abundance. Listen to me. I know this is radical. 
it feels so upside down to the norm. But what the scripture teaches is generosity brings provision, but first fruit generosity brings abundance. And by abundance, again, I'm not talking about just having more money. That's what we think all the time when we use words blessings and abundance and rich. We think about money, but life is so much more than that. We're talking about more presence, more faith, more peace, more joy, more provision in every area of life. We're talking about being truly rich. I mean, come on. What would it be like to have more peace that transcends the understanding? More joy that we have no matter the circumstance. Confidence in the future. Hope that when I die, and I'm not talking about wishful thinking, I'm talking about an absolute confidence that when I die, death is not the end. Death does not lead to something negative, but it is just a doorway into all that God has ever promised in my life. And to have that deep within me, that's what it means to be truly rich. And God says that he will use this thing as temporal as money to help put those things inside of us while taking care of every need we have financially. But it's tied to this word first. First. First is where it gets radical. First is where it gets irrational according to the norms of this world. Malachi 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. That word tithe right there, same idea as first fruits. Tithe is where we get to a radical place. It's a specific word and it means, listen to me, it means 10%. I know some of us just went into shock. I'm looking at your eyes. It not only means 10%, it actually means the first 10%. First fruit Tithing says the first 10% of my personal profit goes to the storehouse for the work of God. Now, I have people ask all the time, what is the storehouse? I believe the storehouse is your local church. And I know even as I say that, I lead a local church. And so that interpretation brings gain to something I lead. I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that. Listen to me. I get the struggle. Even right now, some of you are probably have this idea that the reason you're doing this entire sermon is you want me to give at Beltway Park. I love what we do at Beltway Park. And yeah, I'm inviting you to be part of it, but that is not the totality of my motivation. I can't say that's not part of it, but it's not anywhere close to the totality of it. And I'll tell you this, if you think that's my only motivation and that's what's keeping you from entering into the idea of first fruit giving, just do me a favor. I say on behalf of the elders, don't give at Beltway Park. Just give somewhere else. Give somewhere else to the work of God. Because we need to be a part of this. We, we, we believe that this is what's going to lead into it. I can say with integrity, I've been a part of five churches. I've been a member. A member of the team of five churches in my 44 years of following Jesus. I have led one of them. I have been staff of two of them. I have given my tithe at five of them. I absolutely believe in this reality. And someday, I don't know when it will be, but someday I won't lead this church. Guess what? My tithe will still go here if I'm a member here. I believe in this wholeheartedly in life. Why? Because of the next verse. Test me in the tithe, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Come on, does this not sound like more blessed? Same idea. Test me in the tithe. Do you know this is the only place in the Bible you're told you can test God? In fact, 
Scripture says don't test God. Do you remember Jesus was tempted by the devil? Three times he was tempted in the wilderness. And one time the devil said, throw yourself off the temple. Make sure the angels come and they rescue you. See if God will be faithful to that. He says, no, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We're told not to test God. But yet it seems like when it comes to money, God makes an exception. It's almost like he knows that the norm in our world is to take this gift he's given us called money and turn it into an idol and to replace him with it. I mean, come on. Don't we find our identity in what we have? Don't we tend to find our security in how much we have? Don't we tend to place our acceptance, our worth, our value in money? And God says, those are things that belong only in me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an exception to a rule. You don't test me, but when it comes to money, I double dog dare you. Throw down and see if I will not show you that I'm a provider that you cannot outgive. He wants us to know deep within we can trust him and he will use money to do just that. Now some of you are thinking, dude, I know a little bit about the Bible. In that tithing thing isn't an Old Testament thing. I would challenge it's not because Jesus said, woe to you, teachers, law, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth. A tenth is a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But don't quit giving your what? Shouldn't have neglected the former, the tithe. So Jesus is saying, tithing isn't like the only thing of our Christian journey. It's not the only place we're going to have next step. In fact, it may not even be the most important thing. But in a world where money is maybe an idol like no other nation that's ever existed, maybe it has more significance than we think. And he's inviting us into a place where we make sure that we know he is the provider. Come on. Guys, can you hear my heart? I want you blessed, more blessed. I asked myself throughout this message, I've done this facets of this message. Some of you have been around a long time. It's like, you're going to keep talking about this. I am. Because I know what a necessity it is. God, be honest. The tithe, it is just a, first step in handling our money. I really wish I could encourage you, you need to take Financial Peace University. We offer it as a group. If you can't take it as a group, it is online. You can sign up, do it all online because it lays out a lot of the principles the Bible says about money we don't have time to. I'm telling you step number one. We're just walking through the text of Acts chapter 20. We need this in America. We need this in the American church. So I'm asking you to step into it. I know it works. I just want you more blessed. I kept trying to come up with a way for it not to be as much of a shock. I haven't figured it out yet. I finally decided if we follow Jesus, he's going to shock our system. Because we got to change from an American normal way of life to a kingdom normal. I'll be honest with you. This is normal for me. This is one of the things God gave me grace for early in life. I've tithed on every paycheck I've ever had. It's just one of the things I, God put in me. And I'm telling you, I know it works. I want it to work in your life. So I, I encourage you. Let me tell you, based on Isaiah, 
Isaiah said, generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. That's what I'm gonna ask you to consider. Plan your generosity and start now to stand firm in it. Real simple, here's how you do it. Plan a percentage. I know 10% is a huge step. I'll make you a deal. Since God said, test me in this, if you take a step into the 10% into the tithe, we will step with you as a church. It, it really is simple. We've been doing this for years. You tithe for a season, 90 days, 120 days, six months, and you don't find that your needs are still met. And you're not finding yourself blessed in so many other areas of your life. And you say, it's just not working. You come to me, you can come to me personally. And you tell me this tithing thing isn't working, I want my tithe back and we will give you back every penny you've given. Pure and simple. I won't harass you, won't put you through an interview process. I'd probably ask you, you want me to talk to you about anything? If you say no, then we'll give it back. Only thing is, you gotta give it here. Fair? Like you can't tell me, hey, I gave like a quarter of a million dollars to this place like down the road. It ain't working, I need it back. You can't tell me you put cash in the offering box every time you came to church and then say, you know, I gave like $30,000 in cash over the last six weeks, I need it back. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but we can work with that one. If you'll, if you'll be diligent, be part of this, we'll take the step with you. It's not a gimmick to me. God said, test me. Prove that I will be faithful and we'll step with you if that's what you need. But you may be saying, dude, I don't have 10% in me right now. I don't have grace for it. Okay, what's your percentage? Start with one. If you're at zero, start with one. Start with two. Start with four. Set your goal. I'm gonna get to the tithe. I think you'll get there faster than you think you do. But I am challenging you, playing your percentage. Number two, make generosity your first priority. Have it come out first. If you wait to the end, guess what? Bag usually has holes in it. Do it first and see if generosity at any level will not bring abundance, will bring provision. Tithe brings abundance. But I think generosity will bring provision. I, we automate ours. I, I love everything going out first. I used to write checks. For you guys who are young, checks were pieces of paper that we used to, <laughs> kind of like Venmo on paper. That's what, it, that's what a check is. I'd get up on January 1 and I would write a check to my local church for the tithe. I wanted to go first. Get my paycheck, I would write a check, first one. Dave, were you legalistic? Almost. Now it's cool, I got this thing called an auto draft and I just put it in auto draft. I wake up on January 1, it's already taken out and I get to pray and say, thank you, Lord. I dedicate this next year to you and everything you have and it comes out first. Comes out first right now, like I get a paycheck on, the 15th, midnight on the 16th, it comes out. First thing comes out. You can do that. Just make it a priority. Somehow, whatever that looks like, make it a first priority. And then, I'm just going to tell you, always be prayerful. I don't have time to do anything but mention it because we are out of time. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Tithing is not the goal of your giving. It's actually the foundation. There's actually a thing called the offering. You say, what's the offering? The offerings are the amount the Lord leads us to give above our tithe. I know you're going, dude. It's a different normal. I can't tell you how the Lord will lead you in that. The Lord told my wife and I 26 years ago, 
we came here. We took a pay cut to come here. We could take the pay cut because we'd been tithing. We'd seen the provision of the Lord. The Lord had spoken. We knew he would take care of us. And the Lord told us to start adding a percent to our giving every year until he told us to stop. To be honest, 26 years ago, I thought he would have told us to stop by now. And we were talking about it this year. It's like, baby doll, we're at a good round number. Man, we're doing things we never thought. You think it's time for us to, you know, quit adding? And we talked it out. She finally said something. It was genius. She goes, it seems to be working pretty well, does it not? And I teared up. It's like, yeah, we are so blessed. And I started looking at all of our life. That's what I want for you. I can't tell you what it'll look like in totality for you. I just want you to go on a journey and I want you to know deep within what I know. You can't outgive him. Listen to me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And my prayer is that God will give you grace to step into everything he has for you. So let's bow our heads, if you don't mind, please. I'm just gonna pray for us. Here's what I'm telling you. I have a grace to pray for you in this area. This is something I told you God has put on me. I can't, I can't explain it. It's just the grace God's given me. Since I was 15 years old, I started tithing. I stumbled into it. I believe in it. I have worked part-time, minimum wage jobs, worked my way through college. All, I've just seen the hand of God. I believe it. And so I'm gonna pray for you. And if you want to receive grace to take a step in this arena, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know it has to do with your money. I'm gonna impart a grace, I believe, for you to take the step you need to take, whatever it is. You reach out and you receive it right now. Father, I think of your word. Psalm 145 says you open your hands and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Of all the words we could use to describe you, Heavenly Father, generous has to be at the top of the list. You are generous beyond what we can fathom. You who gave your only son. And you said, if I gave him, will I not graciously give you everything else you need? And we want to step into the place where we know that you, Heavenly Father, will take care of it all. And so I ask, oh God, that you would impart a grace to us, your people, to live by a different norm than is the norm of our world. Our, our world says grab hold, hold on to as much as you can. We want to be wise. Yes, we have savings. We know that in the house of the wise are stores of food and resources. So we're not against savings, but Lord, we don't want to just hoard. We don't trust money for our future. We trust you, oh God. So I ask that you would give us grace to be generous as you show us, for those who need to take that first step into a percent or two or three, give them grace, Father. Impart grace right now in Jesus' name. And there are some that are taking the step into the tithe. Prove yourself, Heavenly Father. Pour open the floodgates of heaven into their life in every arena. Some of us have been tithing for a while and we know we're gonna take steps beyond into our offerings. Whatever you call us to, God, we trust you. Give us grace. Because we say 
We want to be more blessed than we know that comes as we follow you. So give us grace to follow you in every arena of our existence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.